Good afternoon. This is your host, Sophia Nelson, and welcome to Eploribus Cast. Today is February 28, 2020. We have one more day left in Black History Month, and I wanted to get on and do a podcast as we leave Black History Month and go into Women's History Month. There's some things going on that I think we should talk about. Number one, uh, Saturday, February 29, 2020, is the South Carolina primary. Now, the South Carolina primary is all important, particularly for Joe Biden. We all know that he has staked his claim that South Carolina is going to be his resurrection, his Lazarus moment, if you will. Uh, He did not fare so well in Iowa and in New Hampshire. And I think for Pete Buttigieg, Amy Klobuchar, and Elizabeth Warren, I think they're all in the same boat. I think there's less pressure on Bernie Sanders Uh, who has done well in the first two major contests and looks poised to do really well on Super Tuesday, depending on what happens in South Carolina. So I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, what is really the underlying issue of uh, as we head into South Carolina and as we head into Super Tuesday and beyond. The electorate has changed. Uh, One of the complaints or one of the knocks on Iowa and New Hampshire is that they're very white white states, 90 some plus percent of the voters in the caucus and the primary are Caucasian. And that is not at all represent the Democrat Party, as I think we can all agree. The Democratic Party, to their credit, is a very diverse party. They have a a, a large number of women elected in the House and in the Senate, as well as in legislators, legislatures rather around the country. The Republican Party, not so much. I know here in the Commonwealth of Virginia, we have our first female speaker and our first female majority leader in 400 years since the House of Burgesses met and and since uh, uh, Virginia became a great uh, Commonwealth and um, became the first colony uh, of Great Britain and back in the 1600s. And so there's a lot of history here. And the parties are very much staking out their diversity claims as we head through these primaries. And for Joe Biden, he's been unabashed about the fact that he needs the black vote in South Carolina to deliver for him. He got the endorsement of Jim Clyburn, who is the whip of the House, a very revered figure in South Carolina and politics. We have a, a summer home down in the South Carolina and Charleston area. Uh, and we're there often. If I didn't love Virginia so much, I would live in Charleston, South Carolina full time. But that having been said, I wanted to get on today on this last podcast for Black History Month. And I wanted to talk about the black vote because it's important. And I want to talk about the political parties. I want to talk about Republicans and Democrats and how one party completely ignores the black vote. That would be the Republicans and how the Democrat Party takes it for granted. Uh, The president of the United States, Donald Trump, has made it clear that he's in to try to win black voters over. He had a controversial event uh, on uh, Thursday at the White House in honor of Black History Month. Not that the event was controversial because every president, to my knowledge, I've been to many myself, dating back to President George Herbert Walker Bush, has some type of celebration at the White House for Black History Month and they invite black leaders and luminaries, etc. But Trump's turned a little bit strange in that Diamond and Silk, and if you don't know who they are, you need to Google them. I'm not going to say anything else. No commentary. But he had a group of people at the White House, and someone quipped that Donald Trump was, in fact, the first black president. And that really pissed a lot of black people off, and a lot of people off, self-included, because it's disrespectful. We've had one black president. 
and his name is Barack Obama. Uh, they used to say that about Bill Clinton before there was any one named Barack Obama and before there was a Cory Booker and black men who were considered as well as um, uh, Deval Patrick who were black candidates who were considered viable for the presidencies as well as Colin Powell. And they used to joke that Clinton was the first black president because he was cool. He played the saxophone. He was from Arkansas. You know, he had a, a strong relationship with the black community there in Little Rock and throughout the state and, you know, had been a champion of issues for people of color. So uh, President Trump and his team have been in the black community. They've been spreading around money. They have some storefronts they're opening. And this has upset a lot of black leaders because uh, and, and again, self-included, full disclaimer, because the reality is you've been president for four years. So you've had four years to outreach. Now, in fairness to the president, and I'm, I'm going to give him um, some kudos, which I rarely do. I think the crime bill uh, that he's put together, the, the justice uh, reform bill, I think the economy, I think support for HBCUs, I think a number of things he has done are positive things. There's no argument on that. The challenge is, as always is when we're talking about the president, it's him. You know, whenever I go and I talk to young women and young men, one of the biggest things that I like to talk to them about, and I say this to my nieces, hell, I say this to myself, is that you got to make sure that you're not standing in your own way in life. And what I mean by that is there are times when we can be blessed and gifted and have everything in the world going for us. But if we don't know how to shut our mouths, if we don't know how to talk to people, if we don't know how to listen to people, if we don't know how to relate to our fellow human beings and be compassionate and respectful and thoughtful, we will fail in life. It is inevitable. And one of the reasons that the president is not doing well with the black community is the horrible comments about shithole countries and calling black NFL players sons of bitches and attacking the squad, telling them to go back when they all were born here, except for Rashida Tlaib, and she's been here since before she was a teenager. She's a citizen, member of Congress. And, you know, calling Amarosa a black woman a dog, calling black congresswomen wacky and crazy. And, you know, just, it's awful, the things that come out of his mouth, uh, saying that he felt like he was a victim of lynching. I mean, come on, Mr. President, that's pretty bad. And... I could go on and on and on. And these are the reasons why, you know, the comments about Baltimore being rat infested before Elijah Cummings died and, and uh, just just ugly things that come out of his mouth. And he doesn't stop to realize that he's hurting himself because his policies are probably ones that black people would embrace. But it's him. It's the same thing with women. He has a huge, huge gender gap. It's plus 30 some points. That is a very difficult gender gap to overcome heading into a presidential election year. And it's the way he talks about women. It's the 22 women that have accused him of sexual assault or sexual allegations. It's the grab them by the pee comment. It's calling women fat dogs. It's he doesn't know how to stop. And so getting back on point, what I want to talk about is Trump and the 2020 campaign and Biden and black voters and who's going to get the black vote. Now, I have a piece out today. Uh, if you haven't had a chance to read it yet, it's pinned to the top of my Twitter feed. Uh, it is in USA Today. I'm a columnist there. And I think it's very important to uh, take a look at the piece because I go through a historical analysis of when the Republican Party lost the black vote. And I talk about, you really got to go back to the 1960 election where John Kennedy, who 
frankly, uh, was this young senator who had no clue about civil rights, no voting record on civil rights, no really probably even hadn't met a black person, to be honest, other than maybe seeing one or two at Harvard when he was there, which would have been rare. And maybe in the war when he served in the military, but he was in the Navy and the military was segregated during World War II. So uh, Richard Nixon, who had been Eisenhower's vice president for eight years, certainly was familiar to the black community. Uh, my sorority, Alpha Kappa Alpha, had honored him. Uh, Eisenhower, of course, was the first president to integrate the schools in Little Rock in 1957, sent out the National Guard. So the Republican Party had been the home to black voters since Lincoln, since Reconstruction. And it was really, there were some shifts, uh, you know, Oscar DePriest was elected, I believe, to Congress in the, in the 40s uh, when Roosevelt was president. You had a number of, you know, individuals here or there that popped up in the Democratic Party. But let's not forget the Democrats was the party of the Dixiecrats. The Democrats was the party of segregationists. The civil rights legislation could not have passed in 1964 but for Lyndon Johnson being the former majority leader and having those relationships and working with Everett Dirks and a Republican to get the votes that they needed to pass both the Civil Rights and the Voting Rights Act. Now, this isn't going to be, you know, I could do a whole other podcast on the history of the Republican Party, and I might just do that. But I do think that my piece today will help you to understand when the Republicans lost the black vote and that it was Dick Nixon in 1960 who got 32% of the black vote because he lost to John F. Kennedy, who frankly, again, probably didn't deserve the black vote. The reason he got it was because he made a simple phone call to Coretta Scott King when Dr. King was arrested in the Birmingham jail. And he called her and said, I want you to know we're thinking of you. I know you're having a baby. Uh, And if there's anything we can do, let us know. But I'm thinking of you. And it was simply a, a gracious and humane, decent phone call And Dr. King's daddy, uh, his father, who was also a reverend, was a big Republican. Everybody knew that. Everybody black in the black community in the 50s was Republican. Uh, My grandparents, my great grandparents, uh, you know, it's how I became a Republican. And so um, it was not uncommon. But Dr. King's dad held a press conference, uh, gave John F. Kennedy kudos and really, uh, you know, threw his weight behind him because he felt like he showed respect to his daughter-in-law and to his son. Ultimately, Bobby made some phone calls and got Dr. King released, and so it changed the dynamic. And then when Barry Goldwater got the nomination in 1964, he got something like maybe 4% of the black vote. It was it was the worst any Republican had ever gotten since Lincoln had been president. And uh, Goldwater, you know, pretty much demolished the relationship with the black community. And then when Nixon ran again in 68, he got that vote back up to 15%, which is the best any Republican president has done since 1968. The best. Uh, George Herbert Walker Bush, uh, 41, and uh, Bob Dole, respectively, both got 11 and 12% in 1992, and in 1996, but since then it's been single digits, 9%, 8%, 6%, 4%. It's been a tough road for Republicans. So please take a minute, read my piece today in USA Today. Again, it's pinned to my Twitter feed or just go to the USA. I'm one of the columnists there. Um, I think you'll enjoy the piece and it's it's worth reading and it's worth discussing. But I want to talk a little bit about Super Tuesday. I don't want this to be a long podcast, but again, I wanted to jump on and kind of give my two cents about Joe Biden. Full disclaimer, I've given money to Biden's campaign. I've known Senator Biden for a long time since I was an intern 
in the Senate back when I was in college and worked for U.S. Senator Pete Wilson. Uh, I love his story. I love his resilience. I love what he's been through, and he's still a gracious, good, kind, compassionate human being. And the reason I can never support Donald Trump, and you all know I left the Republican Party recently for real, for good, and, you know, that was heartbreaking for me because my my belief system and my values have always been squarely in the column of, of faith, family values, of a strong national defense, of uh, a vibrant economy and entrepreneurship and ownership of homes and just a thriving uh, economic base to help uh, all communities to rise. And... Um, It's been difficult to watch the Republican Party change the way it has, particularly under Donald Trump, and has just become this party where people worship this one man and do his bidding, and I can't be a part of that. But what I love about Joe Biden is I love his humanity, and that's the space I reside in at this stage of my life. I'm interested in human beings. I'm interested in relationship. I'm interested in lifting my fellow man. I'm interested in those things which lift me higher, which vibrate positivity. And, and I feel like he has that. And I feel like this country needs a unifier right now, not a divider. This country needs somebody to bring it together, not to further rip it apart. Joe may stutter and stammer. He may not be the sexiest guy in the room. He may at times seem like he's wooden and stiff, but he's got a good relationship around the world. People trust him. They like him. He's not going to get on Twitter and attack people. He's going to be there when the country's hurt. He's going to take things seriously like the coronavirus scare when it happens. And he's going to make sure that we have the best information. He's going to make sure we're safe. The current president just doesn't have it within him to do that. And um, I feel strongly about that. So I want you to know I have given Biden money. I I support his candidacy. But I think that South Carolina is going to tell us a lot tomorrow. So make sure you're tuned in because Biden needs a big win. He can't just squeak by and win by one, two, three, four points. He needs to win by seven to ten points tomorrow. He needs to have a big showing that he can, in fact, coalesce the black vote. He needs to show that. Other candidates like Klobuchar, maybe Elizabeth Warren, maybe Pete Buttigieg need to get out the race. Now, look, interestingly, Buttigieg was finally declared the winner of Iowa today. And that's unfortunate for him that it broke down because it hurt his momentum. But I do think the fact that uh, Mayor Buttigieg is uh, a gay man married to a man is a problem, particularly in the black community. And I'm not the first person to say this. I think it's true. I grew up in the black church. I'm 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 active. I've written articles about it, as you know, the first ladies of the black church for essence, etc. And uh, I am familiar. And even though we know there are gay black people in the black church, particularly in the choir, etc., usually directors, uh, people in the entertainment section of the church, the plays and things like that, and even ministers, we don't like to talk about it. And if we don't talk about it, it doesn't exist. And I think for many black people, particularly my mother and father's age, who are both 70 plus, they simply can't wrap their head around um, same sex marriage. They can't wrap their head around, um, you know, um, partnerships and, and domestic partners and things like that. That's just they don't understand and they don't want to understand. And and they were raised. I was raised and many are still raised to believe that it's sin. Uh, to be gay or to be lesbian or to be, um, you know, anything else. Uh, you know, it, it. I think that this is still a tough topic for us to talk about. I think we should talk about it. I know I'm trying to grow and understand and, and be more um, uh, educated in, in my understanding of the LGBTQ community. 
And I just think that probably Mayor Pete uh, has a great future ahead of him. I think he will be president someday, maybe vice president. I think he's a brilliant young man. Um, but I know a lot of people who simply will not vote for him because he's a gay man married to a man. And that's that's where we are right now. I'm not sure that's where we'll be 20 years from now or 50 years from now. Just as there was a time in this country when white people would not vote for a black person for president. We are at a time right now in our country where people still won't probably vote for a woman for president. Um, it takes time. And so I just want to say to our friends in the LGBTQ community and otherwise that don't let these things rattle you. Don't get angry about these things and get into these Twitter fights and stuff like that. Understand that Pete Buttigieg running is a huge step forward for the community. Uh, him having the courage to do that when people would have laughed at him when he first started. He's a mayor of a small town in a in a red state. And uh, he's done really well for himself. It'll be interesting to see how the votes break out tomorrow, what happens. But I think on this black vote notion, the Democrat Party is going to have to make some hard decisions because, you know, there was a lot of controversy about the fact that Cory Booker, Kamala Harris, um, the Castro, uh, you know, the former Congressman uh, Castro and others of color, Andrew Yang, others, they've all dropped out now. And you have, uh, what, six uh, Caucasian people standing, one under 40, the re- uh, one uh, in her 50s and the rest over uh, 70. And so it's a it's a Democrat party that says it's diverse and it says it has diversity, but it's not reflected right now in the election. And I think Vice President Biden has been very clear. He signaled that he's interested in Kamala Harris as a running mate. Of course, you know, I've been pushing that ticket for a while now. He also signaled that he wants to put a black woman on the Supreme Court, which makes me happy. I was super pissed off at President Obama. I'm gonna stay pissed off at him probably for a while that his first choice wasn't a black woman versus a Latina. Black women put him in the White House. Black women are the margin of victory for Democrat candidates. And if he didn't pick a black woman for the first Supreme Court pick, he certainly should have given us consideration for the second pick. But that went to a white woman who was a Harvard professor buddy of his. So with all due respect, I think that was pretty shady. And it was something I didn't appreciate. And I know a lot of black women didn't appreciate. So Vice President Biden has really earned my respect by being unequivocal that I'm not going to play games if I'm president with my first Supreme Court pick. It's going to a black woman. In the history of this country, everybody has now served on the court except for a black woman. And that to me is unacceptable. So um, I think that the black vote is going to be something that we should watch. I am going to be interested to see. I believe whoever the Democrat nominee is, they have to pick a female if it's a male. If by some chance, you know, an act of God happens and Elizabeth Warren becomes a nominee, I do not see a path forward for Amy Klobuchar. I think she should drop out. I think she definitely is someone worth considering for the VP slot because she's from the Midwest um, and she's a woman. And I think that would be good as well. She'd be another good choice. But I don't see it. If Elizabeth Warren were to become the nominee, I think picking Cory Booker or uh, Mr. Castro would be good for her as well. Men of color. So I think that whatever way the Democrats go, they're going to have to pick a woman and probably a person of color if it's flipped on the other side and one of the women get the nomination. So I just wanted to give my two cents and say that I hope as we end Black History Month that we as black people begin to know our value and demand that others know our value and hold both the Democrats and the Republicans feet to the fire that we're not for sale, that we don't just want to be talked to when it's time to vote that we don't want to just be paid attention to when you need to be bailed out. 
that we want our issues front and center. Our issues are American issues. We care about taxes. We care about education. We pay, we care about uh, being able to save in our 401ks. We, we care about being able to own homes and start businesses. We care about the same things that everybody else cares about. But we also have other issues like criminal justice issues and concerns of equity and fairness uh, in the institutions of America that uh, in many way, shape, and form have biases in them and uh, challenges. And I think, again, if we can't all agree on that, we're not living on the same uh, earth and in the same country, which sometimes it feels like we are not. Um, Happy Black History Month. I hope you've enjoyed our featured guests. I featured... Uh, some amazing black women this Black History Month um, know that I attempted to get black men and I had a number of black men lined up, but whether it was travel schedules or something happened and we had to reschedule, I will get those men on. Um, uh, Next month is Women's History Month. I have some good guests coming on, women of course, but I'm also going to uh, do uh, a couple podcasts Uh, that are political because we have Super Tuesday and and I think we'll know after Super Tuesday where things really are um, in this campaign and who's going to have to drop out. But I expect that Biden, Bloomberg and Sanders will all survive and move forward. I don't know what happens with Elizabeth Warren. I think she's the wild card. So thank you for tuning in. Uh, This podcast is growing in leaps and bounds. Our listenership is in the tens of thousands. Um, Our biggest platform is on Apple Podcasts, so thank you. But we do well on the others as well. Uh, Also directly on Anchor. Thank you, Anchor. Uh, This was the easiest way to set up a podcast, so I'm grateful that we could do it. And I'm excited to expand and to really turn this podcast into something very special. So thank you for joining us. Happy Black History Month. Make sure that uh, if you live in the D.C. metro, you take the kids to the African American History Museum. You take your family. And you talk about it and you walk through. They have great food you can eat. Um, And just do something tomorrow to honor black history as it closes out. Uh, Tomorrow's the 29th of February. It's a leap year. So we have an extra day in this month. Um, Happy birthday to my eldest niece, Alexandra Lee. Uh, She turns 22 today. uh, Student at Pepperdine University. We're very proud of her. And uh, she's beautiful and every bit as beautiful as she was when she was born on this day 22 years ago, I'll never forget it. Uh, I helped to pick out her name. Uh, we had a list of names and Alexandra was one of my suggestions. Um, and it's because I always loved the name from the movie Flash Dance with Jennifer Beals, still one of my favorite 80s pop movies. Uh, I thought she was beautiful and ironically, my niece biracial looks very much like a young Jennifer Beals. That's that's a true statement, um, both beautiful women. so. Um, happy birthday, sweetie. And, um, just everybody, you have a good weekend. Thank you for listening and sharing. Uh, we have a lot of exciting stuff coming up for you. Don't forget to check out that USA Today article and, uh, black voters, let your voice be heard. Don't be taken for granted. Let's, uh, know our value so that others know our value. We teach people how to treat us folks. That's a woman code, but that applies to life and living. You teach people how to treat you. We need to teach people how to treat us. Uh, We'll talk to you soon. I'm looking forward to kicking off Women's History Month next week with some great guests uh, from a very historic place. I'm not going to tell you any more than that just yet, uh, but I'm looking forward to it. We'll talk soon. God bless.